Good morning, church. Good to see you. Hopefully it's good to see me. Hey, uh, as we jump back into our series called DNA, I want to just kind of give you a wrap-up about some things that have happened this week that pertain to many or most of you. Of course, last week I talked about um, the different ways that you can give and just talking about being beyond ourselves and living beyond ourselves. So I give you an opportunity in, in this season of generosity to give into one of two different things, and I've had some conversations about this. But the, uh, what we're talking about, in case you missed the service, is we're talking about uh, two different areas that we want to leverage our finances and, and our generosity in this season, one of which is to support the work in the DR and the mission trip that's going to be happening in June. So you can give through the missions tab. You can also give through the brown box with a check. If you give cash, we have no way of knowing where it's going to go, so it's just going to go into the general fund. But if you give through the missions tab or a check that is handwritten that says missions, we also said that the money would either go to the DR, to the missions trip, to help that, the work on the ground there, or also a new sign. So both of these things we're going to do. And I've, I've had some secondary questions about that, people asking, okay, how, do we, how can we differentiate between the two? We've decided as a leadership to differentiate for you. So if you just give into the missions tab, we're going to divide that money up evenly between the DR and then the sign. So that's where the money's going to go. That's predetermined. So if you give to that, you're giving to both. Okay? You all good with that so far? That was news from this week, and I know some people have had some questions about that. Another really cool thing, and I just want to brag on you as a church, through the span of time, before last weekend, by the way, the span of time, we, have, we meaning a body, have just been kind of accumulating some money in the, missions, in the missions fund. So we decided that we heard a need from Pastor Bennard uh, that he needs a vehicle. So we heard of that need, and we felt compelled to give to that need. We took, or we are taking, the, the $2,000 that was in the missions fund, and we're going to allocate those funds directly to the fund of him needing those cars. So that's your generosity, everyone who's given in the past. Now that money is going to be used and just to further his ministry. And I just want to celebrate you, celebrate what you and your giving and in your generosity over the span of time, because this is really one of the, the core messages of really the truths of our church is for us to think beyond ourselves. And we're going to talk about how, how even Jesus his message in his ministry was beyond himself, and also how part of that is the beginning again. And what we've talked about throughout the series is what we're going to talk in large part about today is transformational environments, the environments that bring about change. And we talked about belong, become, beyond, begin, and all of these create opportunities for us to change and for us to be transformed. This is what we do at the church as we trust God for the change. There's one other thing that happened this week, and I'll bring it to your attention, and I think this has something to do with the student ministry, but I'm not really sure. Um, there's one thing that happened this week in regards to my sermon, and I want to just illustrate this with the photo. Um, I don't know who the person is to blame for that, but that was actually in my desk drawer early this week, and I almost had a transformational environment in my pants um, once I saw that real Real talk, I'm not really somebody who is easily startled, but I was in this moment. And, and so if you are the, the guilty culprit in the student ministry, and I think maybe Preston has, uh, is the last name of the individuals who are responsible for this, but I'm not sure. I just want you to know, get behind me, Satan. Here's the snake. It's behind me, okay? Now we're ready to move on. That's what happened this week in my life. 
uh, it's been exciting, as you can tell. So it's been, it's been really good. God is good. I had a really good laugh and a really good scare. So I don't know who did that, but thank you. That was great. I, I owe all of that to you. So I, I'm glad that, that we're here, and I'm glad we're here together to celebrate what God is doing. And this whole season is busy. I don't need to tell you that. There's several things that we do in this season that we don't do in other parts of the year. And there are certain things that we do in this season that signify this season, one of which is maybe a certain movie that you watch. We've been talking about that more at the house of like this year we want to actually watch more Christmas movies. We watched one last night. We rented it. And we watch the movie. So there's all sorts of old traditions or maybe new traditions that get brought into this season. And, of course, the lights, the gifts, you know, bringing family in and eggnog. Like, I don't know, I don't know if you're an eggnog person, but, you know, I'm not. So if you have eggnog, it tastes exactly like the name implies, egg. So if you're about to crack a raw egg, stir it up, and gulp it down, that's eggnog as far as I'm concerned. You may like it. See? There's crying about it already. You should get this. That was like perfect timing, um, but that's good. See, I, I believe that, you know, what Andy Williams said in his song that Christmas is a wonderful time of year, and I think that it is a wonderful time of year. And I think that any time in the season of a church where we're, we're all gathered in the same place, where we're all kind of going through the same thing is important, and Christmas offers us, and really every church gathering offers us transformational moments. There are moments when change can happen, and moments when God changes us to become more like Him. There are other transformational moments that we just experience, and some of you, maybe it has to do with just being around your dinner table. And maybe it's around the Christmas tree, and maybe if you're a parent and you know, you're reflecting back when your kids were younger, or maybe your kids are younger, and just the, the, just the amazing things that happen around a Christmas tree. And again, maybe it's a dinner table. But maybe it's even something that's a little bit closer to this room. Maybe it's a, uh, just a transformational moment that's happened in this room. Maybe it has to do with the baptism, and we put the baptismal right over here and celebrating new life in that way. We have all these things that are kind of built into the, the human experience for us to draw in and remember. I was reflecting this week, uh, actually about a month ago, but then also this week, because I'm, I'm cleaning out our shed and I have to do some repairs to it. But I looked over, and the, the left part of the shed is Gracie's first bike, the first bike that she ever rode. And I remember there was a transformational moment on Nona Street and the street that we lived on when I, when I taught her how to ride her bike for the first time and just kind of letting her go and just being so excited and running alongside is one of the earliest videos we actually caught when we captured through Facebook, actually. So it's just that transformational moment and just that release and that's a once in a lifetime thing and that transformation environment have to happen to be on Nona Street of all places but we all have these things as part of the human experience where God draws us in for a moment where where time seems to stop and then it signifies a certain moment this is certainly what happened in Luke 2 at the birth narrative of Jesus we're going to start here and ultimately we're going to move from here but we're going to see how, how just what Jesus did in this little podunk place called Bethlehem, in a city that means the, the house of bread, and how remarkable that in a city called the house of bread, that the bread of life would be born. Amen? That Jesus would be called in John 6 by John, the, the, the bread of life, that Jesus would be born in this place. Not a place that was even 
uh, that had all of the history to it that Jerusalem had or the other city centers in that time. But instead, it would be a humble place that the humble king would be born. That it would be just this, this environment that, we, that most people would just walk by and think that nothing significant could happen in Bethlehem. However, the birth of the God-man, of, of the king of kings, would be happening in this place, in such a humble place. The gospel of Luke is, is an interesting gospel, in, not just in the way that it's written, but also in the way that the birth narrative is explained. Because it's the only birth narrative, if you were to go through, and we're not going to read this, but if you were to read through verses 1 through 3, that you would see that there are a couple of, of historical figures that are brought in here. It's the only gospel that has these historic, historical figures. And these historical figures, they, they signify historically this moment in time. Where the other gospel writers highlight the birth narrative in different ways, this one, God saw fit that Luke would capture this, the historian, the gospel writer, that he would capture this moment and he would use the, the names Quirinius, the governor of Syria, the Roman world, or Caesar Augustus. So that then from years out, that, that the history books would be able to know that this moment happened in this specific point in time. Verse 4 through 7. Let's read it together. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the, same, or the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and wrapped him, excuse me, and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. This, the very reading and understanding of the Christmas story is a story of Jesus going beyond. When we talk about this at DBC, we talk about belong, become, and beyond. This idea of living beyond ourselves. This, this is what Jesus did. That he went beyond heaven to come to earth so that we could be one with the Father. That he came to be one with us so that we could be one with him. The, the very message of, of the nativity, the very message of the, the birth of Jesus, the very message of the coming of the, of the message of the coming king is one of beyond. That Jesus not just living in his perfectly glorified state, but yet him humbling himself, coming to earth, and then being around people like us, sinners like us. That he would walk the earth with people not that different than us. That he would deal with the, the stubbornness and rebellion of Peter. That he would deal with the doubting of Thomas. That he would walk amongst the sick and the lame. Not to turn away from them, but his heart was turned towards them. That Jesus, when he would, he would see that tax collector who was so prideful and he seems to be such an enemy of everyone else, Jesus didn't see that individual as an enemy or a foe. Instead, he saw that individual as a potential friend and as a co-heir and a co-laborer in Christ. 
The message of Jesus coming to earth and being born like us in such a, a humbling place is a one of, of going beyond himself. And also what we're going to see in a moment of him teaching other people to begin again with others. This is really a fascinating idea to me because when Jesus came to be with us, that was the only way that we could be one with the Father. So his coming wasn't something that, that was, it would just happen in a moment. This was planned that God knew of his sovereign plan. He knew that sin was going to be introduced. He knew about the law. He knew about the prophets. He knew about the 400 years approximately between the Old Testament and New Testament. He knew that there would be a longing for the people of God. And he knew that there was going to be a faithful few who were waiting for the Messiah to be born. He knew this all along. And yet Jesus would be, and he is triumphant. But in this moment, he's just a helpless child. Born under Roman rule, Greek influence, and Jewish political corruption, Jesus was born. He was born in a very stressful time in history. Sometimes I think we look at nativity scenes, whether inside our home or outside of our home, and we create this almost just completely unrealistic perspective on what it would have been like around the birth of Jesus. Like everything was perfect. There were doves and the shepherds and the kings, and, every, and there, were just, there was no room for the inn, and it seems so perfect for a movie. But what we don't understand unless you, you read the rest of the Gospels, is all of the turmoil that's surrounding the birth of Jesus. That times weren't great for them. There were people who were struggling with racism in that time. There were storms abounding of sin and corruption and iniquity at the personal level and at the corporate level. There was corruption everywhere. And yet Jesus stepped into the storm. I was drawn this week to the, to the movie Twister. It's an interesting movie. It was, a, it was an interesting movie for its time, written many years ago. But it's about these two storm chasers. One, one of the characters is Bill Paxton, and the other one is Helen Hunt. And that their marriage is, they're married, but their marriage is on the rocks. And, and they have to do this, this certain experiment. And they want to release these little glorified ball things up into the atmosphere to be able to do more storm detection. But the only way that they can do it is driving right into the storm. Very compelling movie. This is the image that I thought of about the birth of Jesus, that Jesus is the ultimate storm chaser. He moved right into the storms of life. Knowing that the only way that for us to be right with our Heavenly Father is for Him to step into the mess of other people. But Jesus didn't just step into the mess of other people. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Again, knowing all along what it would take. Isaiah 53 verses 2 through uh, two through six says this. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like the root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced 
for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace upon us, or upon the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We, here's what we have to offer. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Jesus stepped right into the mess. But what he does in the Gospels, in his ministry, is he invites us into the mess of other people. He invites us to go beyond ourselves and to begin with someone else. Please go to Mark chapter 1. That's where we're going to finish our time together this morning. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. We're going to see exactly how Jesus, in his ministry, now in his place of ministry, where he invites his disciples into this, this compelling light that he himself was embodying before their very eyes. But this just wasn't a message for a faithful few apostles. This is a message that continues with the faithful few today. Those of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus. Those of us who have come to terms with our own sin and iniquity. Those of us who, who have acknowledged and they've con we've confessed our own sinful state before God. And that we've repented of our sin and we've asked Jesus and recognized Jesus as being the, the one who, who was the purifier and the one who, who paid the penalty that we deserved. But this is the message for you and I to step into somebody else's mess as well. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets, and they followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. There's a transition that is here. It's very brief, but there's a transition that happens here between John the Baptist in his ministry and Jesus in Jesus's ministry. John was, was the last prophet is what he's termed, and he's prophesying about, about Jesus's entry into ministry. And now we see the two things culminate. Now you see the fulfillment of that prophecy in Jesus's ministry. It says, after John was put in prison, he went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. You see, Jesus, his ministry was different than John's. John's ministry began in the desert where people would have to go out to John. So the, the transformational environment and the moments would be them pursuing John in the desert. But Jesus flipped the script. Instead of that happening, Jesus used just regular everyday moments to make 
transformational things happen. And so what Jesus would do is instead of in John's ministry, they would have to go see John in the desert. Instead, Jesus flipped his script and now he went to see people. He, he was walking amongst the people. His ministry all around the Sea of Galilee. His ministry in, in Jerusalem. And in Judea. Crossing racial barriers outside of the Jewish people into the Samaritan people. Though they were hated by the Jews. But Jesus didn't see race as a boundary or a barrier. So Jesus' ministry was vastly different. And we come to expect this if we've become familiar with the passages like this. And if you look at verse 15, it says, The time has come. There's different ways in the Bible that time is referenced. This one I actually mentioned, this passage, in a message called Sent in May of 2020. But I think I can bring it back now because 2020 was a tornado of its own. So now we're, we're settling and now we're trying to figure out what would be the transformational moments in our future. How is it that we can move forward by God's grace? Jesus gives this, this message and he says, the time has come. The time has come. So this word that he uses is the word kairos. And instead of the word time, meaning it's the, the other way of explaining time is chronos. It just means time over time. Just think about just the, the time that it takes is just the hands of a watch. Think of a chronograph. It just, it just click away, just time over time. Instead, these kairos moments are divine-oriented time. There are times that means it's the right time or it's an opportune time. It's event-oriented time. Carrying on the theme of, think about having young children. Just chronos time would be those, those early months and days of just getting up in the middle of the night and changing diapers and feeding and, and it's just like, just the days pass by, but there's nothing really significant that happens in those moments. It just passes by and passes by. Praise the Lord they pass by, right? Um, and they pass by. But then, fast forward a little bit, and a Kairos moment would be the moment when they take their first steps. That's when time stands still. For those of us who have been able to capture those moments in time. And then we remember this and it's, it's something that's etched into us because it's as if time stands still. God still uses this, this kind of time for us. When, when Jesus would say the time has come, he's saying that there's an event, a significant event. And he's not just talking about the transfer of ministry from from John the Baptist to Jesus, he's, he's talking about a way of life that Jesus is about to introduce to his disciples that would be his apostles and that carries to us today. 
He's talking about these events in time that we would be so aware of God's activity, that we would be so connected to the Spirit's presence in our life, that when these moments happen, we would recognize that they are actually divine moments. That these are moments where we need to stop and pay attention to what else God is doing. Some moments are more significant than others. I couldn't help but reminisce and think about moments we've had in this room. In that baptismal, like I mentioned. Our swimming pool. Our fellowship gatherings. Maybe some counseling sessions. Some of your wedding ceremonies. Some funeral services. And just generally some of the times we've spent together. This is the way that it should be for every local church. Because when the family of God gets together, every moment can be a transformational moment. And and if we're aware of what God's doing, we could even have a moment like Marla had a couple weeks ago. Just a a God moment of, of a conversation at a grocery store. Just one of those times where where it's not about groceries, it's not about doing the next thing, it's just about a conversation, and then then God brings an awareness, this is a significant moment in time I need to pay attention. I wonder how many moments like this we've missed. I wonder how many moments in time that that have just gone beyond us, and we've Maybe we just haven't been aware like we need to be aware. We've just kind of gone through the motions of church. Or we've just gone through the motions or where where maybe you've you've thought like like I and other people have thought like we just have church events. Instead, what we need to change and pivot our thinking is every moment that we create here, or excuse me, every environment that is here uh, at the church that we create is not just a, a blip on the calendar. We are trying to set up transformational environments. So when we talk about belong, become, beyond, begin, these are the transformational environments that we we create, understanding that God brings change. We don't bring change. God brings change. But yet we try to create these transformational environments to open up this change. This, this keros idea is, is interesting because the birth of Jesus was a keros moment. The, the incarnation is a keros moment. The, the foretelling of John the Baptist's birth, the miraculous birth of John the Baptist, by the way, to his mother Elizabeth was a keros moment. John leaping in his mother's womb just simply because she's in the proximity of of Mary and Jesus is in Mary's womb and the the leaping that happens, that's a keros moment. There's a a, a God-oriented thing happening there. So, of course, Jesus' birth. We also have when John the Baptist baptized Jesus. That's a keros moment. The crucifixion of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, the, the day of Pentecost... And every subsequent salvation and baptism and godly or spiritual conversation that we've had since is a keros moment. One of which that God allows us just by his grace 
to allow us to see that time stands still so we can pay attention to him and pay attention to what else is going on. But this just wasn't Jesus' ministry. It's also to become our ministry. Let's fast forward through this passage. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So repent, turn away from something. And believe, that means turn towards Jesus. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. I want to stop here for a moment. Many times we kind of gloss over this because some of us are recreational fishermen. Some of us are not, but some of us are recreational fishermen. And we, we kind of we look at this through the, through the prism of our own experience. And we say, oh, if I can be a recreational fisherman, I can just go out and I can just fish. And you know what? I'm on the water on that day. I'm either in the creek or I'm in the pond or in the lake or I'm, uh, I'm on the ocean. And I, I'm just out here and I can just enjoy it. And if I don't catch something, it's really no big deal because I had a good time anyway. I think we would wrongly cast upon the importance of, of Jesus choosing fishermen. Because they weren't recreational fishermen. This was their lifeblood. If they did not catch fish, they may not eat. Or their families would not eat. So they had to be hardworking. They had to be persistent. They had to be people who were consistent in their work. It was, it was no mistake that Jesus chose fishermen to get the ball rolling so to speak, and sharing the gospel message for them to be apostles. Notice verse 17. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This is the invitation for you and I to go beyond ourselves and to begin again with someone else. Because what's being said here is a way of living. It's discipleship. But it's this discipleship that isn't about us learning or attending or ascertaining certain positions in a church. Instead, it's come follow me. And Jesus says, as you follow me, I am also going to give you chaos moments to be even something that Jesus created. This was common with the philosophers of the day. When they would say that you were a fisher of men, it meant that you had the ability to convey a message to capture people's imagination. Think of what Jesus is in. Come follow me. And Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. It, it isn't, hey, come follow me. And then you go out and fish for men. It's Jesus says, no, as you follow me, I'm going to make you into a person who is a person who will go beyond yourself. And you will be willing to begin again with somebody else by being a fisher of Men. This is a game changer. This not only points to our individual discipleship and the importance of that, but it also says something about our energy and our time. Jesus is saying to them that the same energy that the disciples were using in their work should be used to make disciples. Come follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. It wasn't just this cute play on words that he's speaking to fishermen. As a matter of fact, this, this would have most likely blown the disciples' mind because they were merely fishermen. 
How in the world could they offer something to the gospel? How, how could they add something to the ministry of Jesus? How is it that Jesus would empower them to go out and do ministry? They were just lowly fishermen. Sometimes we look at ourselves as we're just lowly people and that Jesus wouldn't gift us with the ability of doing some extraordinary things. But this is what happens when the Spirit of God invades our being. This is what happens. This is how God changes people. This was a Kairos moment allowing the disciples then to become apostles and us today to still follow Jesus and to still be fishers of men. You see, as, as a local church, in every local church, not just ours, but as a local church, we set up transformational environments and God changes lives. That's the reason why we have events at the church. We don't do it just simply like, well, you know, this is what we should do because. Or we don't, we don't think things like, well, you know, that's what we've always done, so we have to do. We're continually thinking. What environments, if we were to have the ability to create a transformational environment, trusting God could change lives in that environment, what would they be? How could we, not that you, can, you can't strategize, you can't plan, you can't process chaos moments. Don't hear me wrong. You can't process those things. You can't strategize those things. But what we can do is we can be intentional about what we do and how we do it. Trusting that God brings those chaos moments and that he ultimately changes lives. Transformational moments are captured in transformational environments. Not just at Christmas, not just in this room, but at your house, in your workplace, maybe at a random grocery store. What we need to do is continue to follow Jesus. He will show us how to be fishers of men. He will show us those, those divine moments in time that if we're fortunate enough, that it'll seem like time stands still long enough for us to pay attention, to soak in what God's doing. I had a moment I've told you this story, but it's been years. I had, I had a moment when we lived in Florida, and we used to put together these things called compassion bags, and they were just, they were bags that we would put together. We'd gather as a church. We'd gather supplies. We'd put together these gallon-sized bags. We we're very intentional, but these bags had things to basically give to homeless people. That's what they were. And so we, we as a family, we decided, I, I think it was a Saturday, I'm not absolutely sure, but we decided on one particular day 
that we were going to go out as a family, and we're going to drive around looking for homeless people, and we're going to hand out bags. And we were, we were excited. Remember that? We were excited about it. I was excited about it. Marla's rolling her eyes. I was excited about it. Um, I was excited about it, and I knew that it was, it, was, it was something that God wanted us to do, and so we carved out time, and we did it. So we're driving around the, where we live. There was some familiar places that we knew that some, some of the homeless community gathered, and there was a place I had never gone at the back of this park um, that I saw one individual, and he very much appeared to be homeless, so parked the the white minivan, the same one that we had when we got here, and parked the, the white minivan, and we, we, I took this bag, and I was excited. I, I ran across the, all the way across the parking lot. We had to have a distance. I don't know. I think it was Marla. I needed to have that distance, like just the unknowns of what's going on, if I'm honest. But, so I go over there, and, and I want to hand him this bag, and I just sensed that God was saying, you need to share Christ with him. You need to share Christ with him. Now, we had passed out many bags, and I had not shared Christ with, with the other people, but there was something specific about this. So I, 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 I just heard it. Not that I hear voices, but I think that God spoke in that moment. And, and I obeyed. And I gave him the bag. He was very thankful. It was a heartfelt embrace. I shared the gospel with him. He received Christ that day. Profound moment. It was as if time stood still. What I didn't know was Marla had a key vantage point to see what else was going on in the park that day. Because as I'm talking to this individual, just beyond me, there were two individuals who did a drug deal right behind me at the same time. <laughs> there was a lot of things going on that day. But you know, had I known that that stuff could be going on, I may not have had the boldness to go share Christ with him. But I did, and he received Christ, and I found out the news later. You never know when one of these moments may pop up. You never know when one of these moments pop up in an environment that is unplanned. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us first. We thank you for sending Jesus we thank you, God, that you are you're our redeemer and friend. We celebrate the incarnation. We celebrate the crucifixion. We celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate the ascension. We celebrate the, the sending of the Spirit of God so that we can yield when we need to yield. And then we can obey when you want us to obey. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.